they called him Howie. His real name was Howard, and that was the name his teacher, Mrs. Simon, liked to use. Only the way it rolled off her lips, it wasn't a compliment. Howard, you are positively the worst child, the worst behaved student this school has ever seen. And uh, she was in good company. Her, his kindergarten, his first grade teacher, his second grade teacher, his third grade teacher, his fourth grade teacher, and now Mrs. Simon, his fifth grade teacher, all said the same thing. Well, sixth grade rolled around. Now, Howard didn't get a lot of, uh, of encouragement at home, and, and so Howard, when he got to school, just figured, well, this is who they say I am. I might as well just live it out. And he did it with gusto. Well, the school year started, and they went around, and they went through the names, and Howie was sitting there, and he heard, Howard, by Mrs. No, his sixth grade teacher, Mrs. No, Howard, Howard. And so he kind of slumped in his chair. His head went down. Howard, 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 look at me. Look at me, Howard. Howard, I've heard a lot about you. And I don't believe a word of it. <gasps> and she hit him with the biggest smile he had ever seen. And then later in that day, he, she asked him to come and beat the chalk out of the racers. Now back then, that was a big deal. Only the best students got to do that. And then later on, she asked him to do something else. And, and she started treating him like he was a good student. And then she started inviting him to stay after school, and she wanted to tell him some stuff. And next thing she, you know, they were sitting down and doing homework together. In fact, uh, pretty soon, he wasn't about to let Mrs. No down. And his grades started going up. One night, it was 1.30 in the morning, his dad saw a light on in Howard's room, and so he starts heading towards Howard's room, and he goes, what's wrong? You sick? He goes, no, I'm doing homework. Whoa, you never heard that before. Howard went from being the bottom of the class to being the top of the class. You see, he was never going to let Mrs. No down didn't stop there. Miss Noe just kept sending him notes. It didn't matter if he was in 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. And Howard, Howie, grew up to be known as Howard Hendricks, probably one of the greatest Christian educators in America. His students knew him as Prof. 
at his school. He became a professor, and at his school, it was pretty much standing room only. They fought to get into Howie's class. And all his life, he worked hard to teach, and he wrote books, and he, he did all sorts of things. Why? Because he never wanted to let Mrs. No down. As we come to the Scriptures today, I think Paul brings us to a similar statement in a similar situation as we read in Philippians 1.27. Notice what it says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy. Only let the manner of your life not let down. Only let your manner of life be up to the gospel of Christ. This, this phrase, this manner of life be worthy, comes from the Greek word that gives us the idea of being a good citizen. In fact, uh, in Paul's day, the city you came from mattered. If you didn't come from the right city, that mattered. And in whatever city you came from, it was much like our football teams today, you were serious about it. And you never wanted to do anything that would bring dishonor to your team. I was trying to think, well, how do I illustrate that? And I remembered a wedding I did. It was a wedding for a group of Marines. And they were all in uniform. And I learned something that day. A Marine never, ever disgraces their uniform. Well, one Marine didn't show up for the wedding. In fact, two Marines didn't show up for the wedding. And a colonel from the Marine Corps was there. You see, at the end of the wedding, they were going to do a, a bridge with the swords, and the couple was supposed to run through the bridge of swords. And because those two Marines couldn't show up or didn't show up, there was a problem. They couldn't form the bridge. The colonel was livid. The colonel was, this is not how we as Marines act. I will be finding out who their sergeant is, and I will be having a chat with him. Now, I'm sitting there going, this is an extracurricular event. This is a wedding. This is not marching to battle. Why are you so intense? He goes, because once a Marine, always a Marine, and you never disgrace the uniform, and letting a man down on his wedding day is disgracing the uniform. Ah. Wow. And with this guy being a full bird colonel, I didn't want him mad at me. And I had a feeling that these guys were going to be running a lot of laps the next week. This is what it means. Out against drunk driving, and every night when his own son would go out with his friends, his father would look at him and say, our family's reputation is in your hands. One night the son went out, and after becoming drunk, he got behind the wheel and was involved in a fatal accident where his driving took the life of another person. His family's reputation for involved in fighting drunk driving was trashed and publicly mocked. 
the father then went and spoke at an event later, and he talked about how he had stood before his son that night and said, our reputation is in your hands. He said, this is what Paul is talking about, the reputation of the gospel, friends. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the reputation of the gospel is in your hands. So live in such a way, if you want to retranslate this, live in such a way that you make the gospel big. Live in such a way that it is exalted and lifted up. When I talked about, talk to people about church and why they don't go to church can i share something it's rarely it's rarely about doctrinal reasons well i just don't agree with the church on what it teaches i rarely find people who have left the church because of that normally the reason why people leave the church is because they bumped into someone or they were hurt by someone who did not live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, they hurt them. Oh, friends, hear me. We are living in a day and age when our country is biblically illiterate. They do not know what the Bible says. It is no longer part of our culture, community funerals. I go to the community funerals and say, Pastor, will you, will you quote the Lord's Prayer? And I'll do. And you know what? More and more funerals I do, most people there do not know the Lord's Prayer. They'll say, sing Amazing Grace, and we'll sing Amazing Grace, and most people don't know Amazing Grace anymore. Why? Because it's not part of their world. In fact, on any given Sunday, maybe 12 to 18% of the American population attend church. Most of our country doesn't go to church. We have three and four generations of people who have never stepped in the door of a church and see no reason to start. And because of this, now in our history, followers of Jesus Christ need to realize that you are the only Bible people will ever read. You are the only picture of Jesus Christ that people will ever see. Are you hearing me? You may be the only picture of Jesus that someone ever sees. You may be the only hands of God they will ever feel. And friends, it is a matter of eternal life that we live our lives in a matter worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we live in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ? How do we make the gospel of Jesus Christ big in our lives? What are the marks of someone living the gospel big? Paul gives us an answer, and I'm going to rephrase his answer into questions. So let's continue. So that whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. So the first question is, are you standing firm? Standing firm for God and against the forces of darkness. It means holding on to what we believe, no matter the cost, without compromise. May I share something with you? There was only one thing that kept Paul up at night. There was only one thing that caused him to have nightmares. There was only one thing that caused him to break out into a cold sweat. And it was this. It was not death. It was not persecution. It was not trials. It was not hardship. It was this, becoming disqualified for ministry. 
And so he guarded his heart and his body against moral compromise. To paraphrase that great theologian Johnny Cash, Paul said, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I walk the line. Are you walking the line? Do you watch your heart and stand firm against temptation? Do you hate sin and the damage that it will do to you and those you love? Do you hate the damage that it will do to the reputation of the gospel? A leader of the past said, give me a hundred men and women who fear nothing but sin and I can change the world. Are you standing firm in one spirit with one mind as the verse goes on? Are you in one spirit and one mind with your brothers and sisters in Christ? The idea is that our spirits are one in purpose. We are like-minded. To sum it up, we are a people who live in unity. There is something beautiful about a church united. It is dear to the heart of God. It was the prayer of Jesus. God says in Proverbs, there's only one, one of the great um, abominations of the seven abominations of the seven things that break his heart was discord and strife among the family. Now, it's not unity or peace at any price, but it flows from a love of our Savior and a love of his word. So we truly value our brothers and sisters in such a way that we set aside our petty differences. We push aside anything that would divide us as we focus on Jesus Christ. I love Thursdays at 4. I've shared this with you before. I'm going to share it again. I have a group called Silly Putty. It's because my sermon has to be done by Thursday at 4, and my sermon is in Silly Putty form. In other words, it's still waiting to be formed. But I have it done, and I have a group of guys who meet with me, and they take apart my sermon, and they sometimes take me apart. And they do it lovingly. Now, I'm going to share a secret about these guys. Theologically, they're diverse. Now, kids, I'm going to break this word theologically down for you. Theo means God. Logically, or ology, means study of. So these are guys who study God. Okay? Now, there can be different thoughts as we study God. And you know what? We have some people who come into my group, and and adults, they're called Reformed or Calvinistic. Now, I'm going to make it super simple, but basically what it means is when they come to the idea of salvation, they believe or focus on the sovereignty or the authority, or the rule of God. Now that's simplistic, and I know if I go too far with it, I may get in trouble with some of my Reformed friends, but simplistically, it's the sovereignty of God is a big deal. I've also got some guys in there who are Arminian. Now, they're like, yes, sovereignty of God, that's important, but so is the free will of man. Now, those two sides have historically disagreed on some stuff. And I've got both that in my group. I also have some people who are classic dispensationalists. They're the ones who say, you know what? We have this is going to happen here. And they they really focus on the end times. But they also have a little bit of disagreement with these guys here and these guys here. And friends, 
we can get in some big discussions. I mean, passionate debates. I mean, these guys are going at it. They're going, and and the other one's going, and they're going, and it's passionate, and they're giving it out, and they're, and they're going back and forth, and you know what? I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? But I'm never scared. You know why? One, they're all committed to the same foundation, Jesus Christ. Secondly, they're all committed to their role as brothers. They're committed to each other. They can attack the ideas, but you know what? They never attack each other. They never do. And when the debate is gone, and these guys are, are studied, and, and they, they know what they're talking about, and man, they, they throw these big arguments back and forth on stuff. But when they're done... They pack their arguments back up. They embrace as brothers. And they leave as brothers. Because they understand what it means to be united in the body of Christ. Are you united with your brothers and sisters? Doesn't mean you have to agree with them on every little detail. But are you united with them? Are you next striving side by side for the faith of the gospel? Are you striving together with your brothers and sisters for the faith of the gospel? Our unity is for a purpose. The purpose is found in striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is a, an athletic term. It is a picture of a team working together to achieve a goal. Our goal is the faith of the gospel being spread throughout the world. It is the gospel being alive in our church and being passed on to the next generation. It is the focusing of our energies and passions, seeing the kingdom of God flourish to His glory. And what happens when you don't have a goal or a purpose for which to strive? Friends, our unity will vanish. It is said the most dangerous time for an army is when it doesn't have a battle. Because as the army sits around, they start fighting each other. They start uh, poking each other with their swords. They start picking fights. The most dangerous time for a church is when it forgets its purpose. When we forget that our, our goal is to, to expand the kingdom of God. And when we forget that, we start fighting about things like the color of the carpet and the flavor of the coffee. Instead of fighting for the soul, of those around us. Friends, that's why I'm so excited about this church. That's why I'm so excited about 28 of you who have signed up and said, we want to be part of the emergency response team. And so you're going to be here Saturday for your training. That's why I'm so excited about the fact that we are sending the largest short-term missions team that has left this church since I've been here coming this November, December to the Dominican Republic. I want to say, Kathy, is it six of you going? 
In fact, since I've been here, each year we've been seeing more and more people jumping on and saying, you know what, I have a passion to go for missions. That is exciting. I am um, excited about our Samaritan's Purse. I have to admit, the first year I came and I was candidating to see what Karen and them had set up here and see a hundred of you out here filling shoeboxes and raising the money and, and caring about people around the world. I love the stories that I hear from many of you on how you are interacting with people in your community one-on-one, -on -one, caring for people in your community one-on-one, -on -one, caring for people, leading people out of people of Jesus. This week, because of your gifts to the Benevolence Fund, I was able to help two different families who needed gas money to get to the hospital, to take loved ones to the hospital from the community, and I was able to say, hey, this is because the people here at Buffalo Free love you. It's because you haven't forgotten what you're fighting for. In fact, I'm, I'm working for next service day in April. We're setting it up for the last Saturday in April, and we're going to go out into the community, and we're going to, we're going to minister in the community. And I, I can't tell you because I haven't confirmed it yet, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping not, we're not going to serve here. I'm hoping to serve at one of our schools. I'm working on it. Because I want our teachers, I want our, our principals. Hey, hey, friends, you, you see how our school looks better today? It's because my church did it for you. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're about striving for the kingdom. Striving for the gospel. Also notice what it says. And not frightened about anything but by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that there's destruction, but of your salvation. My question is, are you confident or are you frightened? How is your heart? How do you face the day? We live in a time when it's easy to become afraid. And the word picture here is that of a military horse who's and running away from the battle instead of towards it. We don't pick fights with this world, but we don't fear them either. And why? Because it proves our salvation. In this world, we will have tribulation. It'll be of good cheer. He's overcome the world, and God will not abandon His children. Notice what it says in verse 29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Are you able to suffer for Christ? We have been given the gift not only of believing in Christ, but to share in his suffering. He was on the road and he was going to attack all the Christians and God met him and Jesus struck him blind. And they led him to a little town. And Paul was blind and, and God went to a, a person by the name of Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go heal somebody. And he said, okay, who do you want me to heal, God? And he said, oh, well, I want you to heal God. Um, this is a man who's hurt your children. Uh, why don't we just leave him blind? It's a good idea. And God says, no, I've chosen him. 
And you know what? He's also going to suffer much for my sake. Yet he counted it a gain. Yet he counted it a privilege that is suffering. He would know Christ. You and I can know Jesus in a precious and deep way because chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. My next question regarding your spiritual family is important. My prayer for us as a church is that we may drink deeply from this last passage. It begins with what I call the well, yeah, list. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Well, yeah. Any comfort from love? Yeah. Participation in the Spirit? Well, yeah. Any affection and sympathy? Yeah, of course. He draws them in and he snaps the trap. Review it. Make my joy complete. Being the same mind. That's stuff I've already said. Being the same love. Stuff I've already said. Like I said, being in full accord of one mind. Pretty much what I've already taught you. Now get this. And if we as a church can grasp this and run with this, it will do amazing things in our church. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Wow. Have a good handle on this church in our hearts. We must learn our own hearts and know our own motives. Why? Because our brothers and sisters are depending on it. Our church's health is depending on it. And then it goes on. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look on to your own interest, but to the interest of others. He is saying, we ways where people keep a check on their own hearts and lay aside their own selfish ambition and their own conceit and exalt their brothers and sisters, not above God, but above themselves. And they treat their brothers and their sisters with significance and worth and value. Now, let's go back to the opening statements I made on living a manner worthy of the gospel. We've, we've returned to the beginning. Most of the time, people walk away from the church not because we've told them the truth of Scriptures, even if that truth is hard to hear. It's because of how we've acted and treated them in the process. Currently, our nominating committee is looking for an elder. Brad, who led worship this morning, is one of our elders, and his set with honor and distinction. He has served this church with humility. He has always strove to put people first and Brad it has been a, a privilege to serve alongside of you and I want to thank you for your service but come January we have to replace Brad 
And I'm going to share something with you. The people that they are looking for, the person that they are looking for to be an elder, they're not looking for someone who dreams of leadership and power. They don't want someone who wants to come in and straighten everyone else out and whip us into shape. They're looking for someone who is not conceited. They're looking for someone who is humble, who will put the interest of others first. Why? Because when we put ourselves in a church where people put others First, and that is the normal everyday experience. When they sense the other agenda than God's glory and their best interests, people are willing to hear the hard truth of Scripture. Walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Live in a manner worthy of the Gospel. But pastor, I haven't. Up till now, I've actually brought shame on the gospel. Now what do I do? At the Rose Bowl, Georgia Tech and the University of California were playing. A Georgia Tech, a a University of California player recovered a fumble, but as he began to run, he got hit so hard he got spun around and he started running the wrong way. In fact, he started running to his own end zone. Stop him. And in fact, when his team tried to punt their way out of the bad field position, it was blocked. Georgia grabbed the ball and went ahead two to nothing. The halftime happened. Cal goes into the locker room. The man who messed up sits with a towel over his head and he begins to cry. The coach comes out and the coach says this. Same starting lineup as the first half. The man sits there as the rest of the team leaves and coach walks out and he starting lineup. He says, Coach, I can't go out there. I've let you down. I brought disgrace to Cal. I can't go see those people. I can't go back into that stadium. The coach leaned down to the young man. He said, Son, it's only halftime. There's still another half to play. Now get out and play. They said that young man, Regal was his name. He, began, he became known as Wrong Way Regal because of this game. Played a spectacular second half and almost won the game for his team. Friends, you may be sitting here today going, Pastor, I haven't lived a life worthy of the gospel. Well, friends, this is halftime. You still got another half to play. So, you may need to do a little confession. You may need to do a little repentance. You may need to hook up with somebody and say, hey, I need to learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So go out and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Amen? Father, we come to you now and ask that we as a church, 
united by the gospel of Jesus Christ, striving for your kingdom, might live in a manner worthy of the gospel for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.